Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming. We're going to start today. My name is Dennis. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic in Alaska. And we're going to start today on page 60. You know, a lot of us come into this program believing that the problem is the acting out, the pornography, the prostitution, whatever it is we happen to use to medicate our disconnection from our higher power. But we're going to see today as we go through this process, what exactly the disease or the illness really is that we're suffering from. So we're going to start on page 60 today, and we're going to take a look and see if we can identify some of the things that as we just found in steps one, that we were absolutely powerless over this disease, that we had to fully concede to our innermost self that I am a sexaholic, that I can't stop. And if I believe even any lurking notion somehow that there may be another way than this program, I, I think some, I think I need to go explore that because what this program is going to require is complete death of self. I'm going to have to give up everything and allow a higher power to run my life going forward if I'm to have any success in this program. So step two brought me to a place where I had to come to believe, at least consider, that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. Um, We learned about the grave nature of our disease. We learned about the unmanageability. We know very well about that. But it says on page 44 that I'm to be doomed to a sexaholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. Bottom of 25 basically says the same thing. It tells me that one was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation as best I could. The other was to accept spiritual help. In both of those, they're giving me two choices, live in my disease, die from my disease, or accept some type of spiritual help. And especially on 44, where it says, and these may not be easy alternatives to face. To me, when I first read that, I thought, wow, that sounds like a pretty easy alternative. I'll take living on a spiritual basis. But what I didn't realize about living on a spiritual basis, what that meant was that that's going to strike right at the heart of my ego, that it's going to require death of ego. And while I thought I was ready and willing to do that, that process was very drawn out. My ego did not want to go quietly. And it's still to this day wants to rear its ugly head. So we're going to start on page 60. And what I like to look at is if if we're going to start taking a really close look at what my illness is, what this disease is that I'm fighting, this thing like ego and self, I believe that we get to take a look at what it looks like. And on page 60, it says at the third paragraph down at the bottom, the first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And I think at this point along the program, we can see it, but are we really willing to have death of ego? 
Uh, we, we are going to make a, a pretty firm commitment to that, but we're going to see what it's going to actually take to get there. But this is, starts showing me, well, what does it look like to be in self? And on the bottom of page 60, it says, on that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. That's my life when I'm in self right there. The minute I get into self, which is self-centered fear, I start getting into collision with something or somebody, usually everybody around me, even though my motives are good. And that's a great indicator for me even to this day that if I start to get into this, if I start seeing this again, then I know self has reemerged and I'm back in self. And the next page goes on, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it goes on to talk about the actor. And it's really helpful for me to put my name into that, and you could do the same is if you would add your name to see if it sets kind of what it's like when I'm in self. And it says, uh, starting at the very last word on this 60 and then going up on the next page, if Dennis's arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as Dennis wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including Dennis, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. And it goes on and on, and it keeps repeating that over and over and over. And what I find when... Later, we're going to see that the reason that Dennis needs everybody to do what he wants, because it benefits Dennis. Everything that comes out of my mouth, any type of expectations or control or trying to manage others when in self is for one reason, to benefit self. And everybody that's not on board with that is going against the very thing that's my disease, which is my ego. So... We go to the bottom of page 62. We skip over. We've read about it. Uh, as top of 62 says selfishness and self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. Driven, And these are the, these are the conditions that self bring about. We're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. And we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. Invariably, I find that at some time in the past, I have made a decision based on self, which later placed us to be in a position of hurt. Sobriety is one thing, but recovery is looking inwardly in itself. And when I'm itself, I can only look in one direction, and that's out at everybody else and what they're doing, and especially what they're doing to me or not for me. So in our uh, lineage, at the bottom of 62, we have to memorize the next two paragraphs all the way to the middle of 63, we have to memorize that in first person and present tense. And I'll tell you, if you will take the time to write this out and memorize sentence and then add the second sentence and get this memorized, this will, this will uh, go deep into your heart and it will give you so much um, ways that to have freedom. Cause it tells us when I'm in self, I'm playing God. And so it goes on to say that this is the how and why of it. First of all, I have to quit playing God. It doesn't work. Next, I decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God is going to be my director. He is the principal and I am the agent. He is the father and I am his child. It says most good ideals are simple. And this concept, the concept we're talking about, is turning my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God. But it says this concept was the keystone of a new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. 
On page 17, we start talking about the foundation stone, which is one element is the fellowship is one element of the powerful cement. It's the foundation stone. Step two, we built the cornerstones. The cornerstones being that we came to believe that there is a power out there that's greater than my thinking, because that's my willpower that I'm using, that will actually can restore me to sanity and relieve me of the bondage of self finally. But as we build up those stones, that cornerstone on an arch is kind of an angled, um, like a triangle piece. And as you build those stones up, that's the most important piece because that's going to put the arch in place. And one thing that David said, I love it. He said, it takes two people to put that in place. A man can't do it by himself. And I thought, wow, how apropos does that uh, apply to this program? And it goes on to say that, and this concept was a keystone of a new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Now, here are the third step promises coming up as we step through that arch. And the only way to step through that arch is to surrender self completely. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. I had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what I needed if I kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, I became less and less interested in myself, my little plans and designs, and more and more I became interested in seeing what I could contribute to life. And this is the the beautiful part. As I felt new power flow in, because that's the result, as I enjoyed peace of mind, as I discovered I could face life successfully, and as I became more and more conscious of his presence, I began to lose my fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter I was reborn. Now, the thing about the third step promises is if I stop working this program, I rest of my laurels, it all goes backwards. I don't feel that new power flowing in. I do not have peace of mind. I get to the place where I'm not facing life successfully and I become less and less conscious of his presence and I begin to have fear of today, tomorrow, the hereafter. And that is the result of that. So we find somebody to take this third step prayer. I asked a guy the other day as we were getting ready to take it. It's like a covenant. That's what David showed me. Am I really ready to turn my will in my life completely over to God, where I'm going to offer myself to allow God to come in and have full reign to take me from there forward and that I would follow, let him have control of my life. So when a man is ready, we go, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will and take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. I had a guy ask me when I first took that third step, an old-timer called, he goes, what was your favorite part, Dennis? And I said, well, relieve me of the bondage of self. Now I see that because self has been eliminated, take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. It's not so that I have a better life or that I enjoy something more. That is the result. But it's really about showing the power of God, doing an absolute miracle that I'm not out picking up prostitutes, that I'm not out putting ads online and destroying my life more and more. 
And I believe that especially I could see the process coming in as a newcomer. When I come in, I think in the order in which I received this was also thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. I started out because the only thing I needed coming in is when I felt temptation like I was going to go back out, I needed to be able to pray. And God relieved me of that temptation. I needed that power, and it was very transactional. I, I needed it. I'd pray. I'd feel relief. Whew. I'd go along my day. Who here it comes again. I would pray, and I would feel that relief. And the next thing, the more and more I did that, the more I started feeling God's love. Like, whoo, I'm starting to experience something, flashes of it in the beginning that were actually better than lust. And then thy way of life, which I get to live now. So this minute we are done, I plan with my sponsees, the minute we're done with our third step prayers, we already have our work ready to go. We get up wherever we, I always let them pick a beautiful place, whether it be a valley, waterfalls, or, or wherever we go, I tell them to think of the most beautiful place that they know of. And we go there and we kneel down and take it. And then we go and we start immediately. It says next. So we got to figure out what's more next or at once, whichever is sooner. That's what we go with. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. And it said, though our decision, step three, the decision is to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, was a vital and crucial step. It could have little permanent effect. And that line should be underlined because that's where most people falter that continue to slip because they have little permanent effect. And it says, unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves, which had been blocking us. And that's where we are really at, at a point now. We've taken the third step. A lot of people say, I've made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. That's kind of like saying that I've made a decision to go to college. I call the next day and say, hey, where's my diploma? They go, what do you mean? Well, I made a decision to go to college. They're like, well, you got to do the work. So making a decision is good. It's like we're making a commitment to give up self. But the process of four through nine, as David said, was a spiritual program of action. Those are the things that have been blocking us from the power. My problem all along. And it tells us that we had to get rid of those things in ourselves, which have been blocking us. Our lust was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. And the truth is, is that's exactly what starting these inventories are all about. And that's where we have to fully go into them and allow God to do this work for us. And it says at the bottom here that resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more sexaholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have not only been mentally, the obsession, and physically, the allergy, but we've been spiritually sick. And it says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, which means that I'm connected back to the power, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Now, when I get to this point with sponsees, we go one instruction, we stop. We get the, we listed people, institutions, principles with whom we were angry, stop. And I talk to them and say, Put a person's name on, and I want you to go back, and anybody that you've ever felt any type of hurt from, whether they've been unkind to you, it doesn't matter. If you're not sure, put them down. 
because we want to clean everything out that's out in the way. <clears throat> the next one is then we asked ourselves why we were angry and we start looking at, well, what did they do? And we, according to the, the column over here, we do 19 words or less. We can count how many the maximum is on that example. And then finally, what was it in us that was affected? And those are our five basic instincts, which are self-esteem, security, ambitions, personal sex relations, and, or you can put pride in there. So we went back through our lives. So we, with nothing counted, but thoroughness and honesty. So now that I'm done listing, I put my second column in what they've done and I've written what it affected in me. And all this is not out of some intellectual exercise on my part. This is me surrendering now, asking God to do this for me and to show me. It truly is a spiritual process. So middle of the page on 66 is what we like to call the death threat paragraph. And I'll just pick one of the sentences out instead of going all the way through it. But it does say that for when harboring such feelings, which are resentments, ill will, it tells me what happens if I let a resentment fester is I will be shut off from the sunlight of the spirit. I'm disconnected from God. I'm disconnected from the power. I'm back in self. A resentment is a 911. And it tells me in the next sentence what's going to happen. If I have a resentment, it'll shut me off from the spirit. What follows? Well, the insanity of lust returns and I lust again. And with us to drink is to die or to lust is to die. So we have these names. We've listed it. Now, what are we going to do about it? We can't go to the fourth column because if I still have a resentment around these, I'm blocked off from God. God can't show me what my mistakes were. I can't see them because I'm still looking out at everybody else and their problems. So it says that this was our course. We realized, which I like to write real eyes, which means in my heart, God's going to show me and make real to me that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. There's my first prayer. God, help me to realize that underscore this person is spiritually sick, just like me. And I'm going to look at them like, yeah, they really are. This is not about me. And so that's column one. Column two, though we did not like their symptoms, column two, and the way these disturbed us, column three, they like ourselves were sick too. So we asked God, this is our second prayer, to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Now I'm asking God, God, if I had a friend and we had some differences and that person's laying in the hospital, a parent, brother, sister, friend, those differences won't make much difference if that person is very ill. Um, I think I'm just going to care mostly about them at that point. And so if I'm looking at them as a sick person, then I get to ask God to help show me them in that same manner and state. And when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. So in our lineage, we went back into page 552. If you want to jump back there and look at this, this is very powerful. So I have two prayers now for my four step. God help me to realize that perhaps these people are spiritually sick, just like me. And God help me to show them the same tolerant, pity and patience. I would cheerfully grant a sick friend in the hospital. But there's another one. It says, if you will pray for the person or thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. You can ask for their health, their prosperity, and their happiness, and you will be free, even if you really don't want it for them. 
Well, in this case, so my third prayer was, God, I pray that everything I would want for myself that you give to so-and-so, give them abundant health, prosperity, and happiness. And then I added to the prayer, what do I want from God? And I said, and God, bless them with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And God, wherever they're at, I pray for their protection and their serenity. And God, I pray your power and presence enter their heart so thy will be done all the days of their life. Now, I'm looking at a person on my page. Uh, We actually make a little sheet that is actually has a cutout. And when we do ours, we have this little cutout, kind of like this, if you can see. It has a little notch. So once I wrote this stuff down and put my prayers on here, I put that on my page where just the name is showing, but not what they've done. Because at this point, we don't want to focus on what they've done because it's, it's really not about, it's really not about the person. It's, and then we see, well, it's really not about what they did. It's about what it affected in me. And I'm going to go through a spiritual process now of having God completely remove all of that. And one of the things my sponsor asked me, Dennis, do you want justice or mercy? Well, I said, Oh, I want mercy. You don't, you can't have mercy for you and justice for everybody else. It has to be mercy for all or justice for all. So as you enter into this process, I want you to consider just like you want mercy, that you're willing to give it to these people, which made that a lot easier. As I prayed for each person, if I could feel love and compassion after the prayer for that person, never to be brought up or charged against them again, I could check them off. But if still that, "Mm, man, I just... Man, that guy just, he really did some stuff to me that is not acceptable. Then I can't check him off and I say, God, help me. And I go to the next person. But as I go through these name after name after name, and sometimes I just start the prayer and I feel it lifted out. Once I get completely through those names, everything is completely removed. Then we get to go on and we get to look at our part in that. And It's amazing what God showed me. And as I wrote that down, how much as I look back over there, I thought, oh my gosh, I would have never known that. So to jump ahead, because we're almost uh, done here. We've done our four through nine. We've done our inventories. We've done the spiritual program of action. We've removed the little rocks in the conduit and the flow of our higher powers is flowing in. Well, now we're going to start on page 84. And this is the part that we'll do the rest of our life, 10, 11, and 12. And the purpose of step 10 is we've just cleaned everything out. We do not want to start letting things pile back up in there. And I don't want to let things block me off from the power because I'm experiencing the power in full force now after doing four through nine. So it it goes on to say that uh, we've already taken personal inventory, steps four, and we continue to set right any mistakes, eight and nine. We vigorously commenced this way of living, and we're on page 84, as we cleaned up the past. And here, we have entered the world of the Spirit, and that is true. That's where the ninth step promises we see really start unfolding. We've entered the world of the Spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This should not be an overnight matter. Now, here's what it says. It gives me clear instructions. It should continue for our lifetime. It says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Those four things 
will disconnect me from the power. Or those four things will alert me that I am disconnected from the power. And David taught us that those four things are thoughts. When I first did this program, I was looking for the result of those, kind of waiting and looking and continuing to watch. And one thing that would be really helpful as you do your, I did like 11 step prayer walks where I will ask God a question and just meditate as I walk. I asked God, I said, God, what is resentment? That's all I asked because I just really wanted to know. I thought I knew and very clearly I was laid in my heart and I didn't know this, that resentment is unforgiveness. And so there's four absolute in the Oxford group that I love that go perfectly with these four. And you can write above each one of these, one of the absolutes. So above selfishness, the first absolute is absolute unselfishness. There are no degrees. Dishonesty above that is absolute honesty. Above resentment, we write absolute purity because it's about purity of heart. This is the attitude of my heart. Do I have ill will toward another? It's not just somebody hurt me and I'm holding a grudge. This is about any type of anything that would separate me or disconnect me from another human being. And the last one, which is the most beautiful, above fear, we write absolute love. Because again, we can be in two states of being. We can be in God-centered love, where self is completely surrendered, or if if self comes back and takes over control, then I'm back in self-centered fear. Those are the two states of being that I can be in. But if I detect any of these, because I've spotted the thought, there's four instructions. It does me no good to know, memorize these instructions. It only does me good to do them. And that's where we say, The program is not about knowledge. It's about action. You can know nothing about this big book, understand these four instructions and do it and would be miles ahead of me if I knew it, memorized it and could share it. But if I wasn't doing it, it doesn't help me. So if selfishness, dishonesty, resentment or fear crops up, number one, I ask God at once to remove them. There are steps one through three right there because I've recognized I'm powerless I know I need a power greater than myself, and I'm asking God to take care of that. The next one is, there's two that come in a row because it's an and statement, so they go together. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Those two go together, so we ask God to remove it at once. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. And then it says, which is the last one, which is, I think, very, very important. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help because love and tolerance of others is our code. To me, love and tolerance of others is our code means that I'm willing to stay connected to people, even if they're unkind to me, that I'm not going to separate from them. I love Recovery Continues. On page 12, it says, why is this whole disconnection resentment game destructive? Because when I sever from person, I'm severing from God. The two always seem to go together. I can't do damage to one without doing damage to the other. Also, this kind of severing is a conscious attitude against another, and thus an interact of violence. But the only one inside in me is me, so that inner violence damages me. So this program is all about staying connected to people and not disconnecting from them. I don't they I don't have to let them hurt me. I could put up boundaries or or detach, 
but I, I cannot disconnect from them. Now, if we're doing these things on a daily basis, it says that right here, this is the result. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even lust. If we remember back in step three, we were in constant collision with something or someone. So that's because I was in self. I went through the steps, four through nine, the spiritual program of action. I'm doing my daily spot check inventory and I cease fighting anything or anyone. Why? Because I'm staying connected. Even if they're sick, I can love them well still. Because it says for this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in lust. And here's what it says. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. My experience, I have never recoiled from lust as from a hot flame because of the threatening of losing my sobriety, losing my wife, my family, my job, my freedom. That was never enough. The only time I ever found that I recoiled from a temptation was when I've completely surrendered. I'm connected into the sunlight of the spirit. The warmth of God's presence and love was in and through the fountains flowing. And all of a sudden I see something that's a temptation. I'm like, Ooh, I turned away from that because I didn't want to lose the connection I had with God. That's the truth. And if I'm not connected with God, I will want that. But when I am, I have found in that connection to stay connected That's one thing that goes away is me wanting it. For years, I surrendered and surrendered and surrendered, stayed sober, but I still wanted that. But that's not the case anymore. But it goes on to say that on the next page, top of 85, about four set lines down, we are not fighting it. I'm not fighting it any longer. And that fighting it, what's it? Well, it's not my tense, not the trigger or the temptation. because. If I'm being drawn to that, the only thing I'm fighting is self because self's wanting that. That person is not a trigger. They have no power. That image on the computer doesn't have any power. It's my addict inside wanting that. But when I'm connected to the power, the sunlight of the spirit, that's gone. That want is gone. I can't manufacture that. That is a result of continuing to watch and being free. But it said, we are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. I always thought, and David showed us this on page 45, I always thought that the problem was uh, the lust, was the way somebody was dressed, was the image I seen. No, that was never the problem. We go to page 45, first full paragraph, it says, Lack of power, that was our dilemma. And I like to say lack of connection to that power. And the only thing that's disconnected me from that power is self. Resentments, fear, selfishness, dishonesty. And we had to find a power which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves. It says on the next paragraph, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable me to find or connect to a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. It doesn't say which will help me solve my problem. I need to be out of the way completely. It will solve my problem. So as we move on, it says, this is how we react back on 85, so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Now, it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action, and that those are the tools we learned in 4 through 9. 
and rest in our laurels, but we are headed for trouble if we do, for lust is a subtle foe. We are not cured of sexaholism. Because I think the ism is I self me. Being sober, yeah, I'm free from that portion, but the lust and the ism is I self me. Itself is what's causing this. And this is really great. It says, what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And the truth is, is I can do nothing about my spiritual condition, but I can do everything about the maintenance. Much like a diabetic, he has to manage his program daily. He has to get up, check his blood sugar, take his insulin. There's things that he does that it's not a lot of work once he does it. He doesn't even think about it. But what happens is the more he does it, it's just a natural process. But if he gets up one day and goes, eh, I'm just tired of checking my blood sugar and I'm not going to take that insulin. He may be okay for a day or two, but it's going to catch up to him. Same with me is if I start ignoring selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, I'm going to pay a price for that. Self will reemerge. And right away, the first thing I feel is fear. I start manipulating. I told my wife early on, everything that comes out of my mouth, I'm just watching me like, wow, everything that comes out of my mouth is a lie to manipulate you to benefit me. I could see it. She said, well, that's the first honest thing you said. And the sentence I tell her is 100% true. But the two or three words I left off and manipulated and purposely removed I didn't add the whole truth because in the minute I start trying to manipulate parts of the truth, I'm not trusting God and I'm doing it because I'm afraid of the outcome. And when I'm trying to manage an outcome, I'm back to playing God. And I guarantee you, if there's any dishonesty, there are no degrees of honesty. I will start going back to It starts out with, I disconnect from the power. I get back in self. I have some type of expectation or which all expectations are resentments that are forming. If I ask for something I want and the answer is no, and I'm not okay with it, it really wasn't an ask. It was a demand. It was an expectation. So now I'm into resentment, self-pity. The minute I don't take care of that resentment, I'm cut off. I'm already cut off at that point. I didn't realize it, but in the fourth step, I could see that. Then I I get a temptation start coming. The next is I start experiencing lust. Lust wants me to fill that void now because I got a void. Then I'm either acting out with self or other people, and then I'm back into the incomprehensible demoralization. So I used to believe the acting out was a problem. No. I thought, well, then it's the lust. No, it's not the lust. Well, then it's got to be the temptation. No, it's not the temptation. It's not the resentment. It's not the expectation. It's self, being in self, not connected to the power. That's the problem. I can't detect sometimes when, I de- when I'm separating, when self is emerging, sometimes I can't see that. But the results of that is I get back in fear and I start trying to control things. One of the best ways, and I'll I'll kind of close up here, is in the 11th step, doing the nightly inventory and sending somebody is so important because what it does is it lets me be honest with another person. Plus, when I do it every day, I start seeing things as they disappear. The things that were kind of common, they start disappearing. Other things come up. But it allows me, as I go through my day, to say, ooh, I'm going to have to put that on my 
nightly inventory if I continue on this path. There's times I'll be telling somebody a story and it'll be embellished a little bit. And I got to, whoop, no, I got to stop right there. That wasn't true. Absolute honesty. The only thing I'll say about absolute honesty, and please talk to your sponsors about this one, is when we giving our spouses the details of the insanity of what's inside our brains, that's not for them. I'm not to be honest with them like that. That'll harm them. My wife is in Essendon long enough to know that she's like, whoa, whoa, that's not for me. She doesn't want that. Early on, people coming in and they'll just dump. Boy, do they feel better, but they've just taken a fillet knife and gutted their poor wives. And they're over there in the corner trying to put everything back in and sew themselves up. They have no way to take care of that. And those traumas last a long time. I can tell my wife I'm disturbed. She doesn't need to know anything else. A lot of times she knows. But the crazy in my mind is for my sponsor or my brothers and sisters in the program. The last thing I'll say is, how do I know when I'm getting back into self? Well, there's a great thing here on the bottom of page 87. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. That pause for me looks like urgency. If I feel urgency, I know I'm, I'm back in self. I'm back in fear. If it's urgent, it's not important. And if it's important, it's not urgent. And I have to remember that when I'm disturbed, that's the 911. It says on page 90 of the 12 and 12 that it's a spiritual axiom that anytime I'm disturbed, it's always, not sometimes, not, it's always something in me. So if I will accept that as a fundamental truth in this program, that is an absolute, that if I'm disturbed, it's always something in me. I had a guy, I wrote on my big book for this reason, because it just kept coming up over and over and over. It's not them. It's not them. It's not them. That's the truth. It's not them. If I believe it's somebody else is the problem, there is no solution. The only solution I have is to, when it says pause, ask for the right thought or action. So I get to immediately use my tent set, pray, surrender it to God, give it up, talk to somebody. Sponsor's a great person to talk to. I'm making amends if I've harmed anybody. Had an old timer tell me, you know, Donis, that third part about making the amends, if when you're disturbed, you'll just keep your mouth shut and you'll clear up almost 100% of any harms. Then you don't have to make it. When you open your mouth, that's when you got to go make amends. So when you get disturbed, if you just keep your mouth closed, you'd be surprised how much less amends you have to make. And then resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. That is to me the gold standard. I will not be able to stay connected to the power like I get to if I don't work with others. And the last thing I'll say is Bill says it so beautifully on page 14. Faith without works was dead. He said, for how appallingly true for the sexaholic. For if a sexaholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, how? Through work and self-sacrifice for others. He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And that is the truth. On page 159, last thing I'll close here with, right in the middle of the page, it's about five lines down from the second paragraph. It said, though they knew, meaning us, that we must help other sexaholics if we would remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. Why am I happy about giving myself to others? Is because when I'm surrendered and God is flowing through, I'm just being used as a channel 
that I have peace and serenity and love. And the greatest gift I get from, from doing that, from staying connected to that power, is acceptance. I used to read acceptance is the answer to all my problems. And for years, I tried to manufacture that. Come on, Dallas, you got to accept this. You got to be an acceptance. Never worked. The acceptance is a byproduct of being connected to the power. So if I can stay connected to the power, because I've done four through nine, I'm continuing to watch. I'm working on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. I'm helping others and I'm paying close attention. Am I disturbed at this moment? And if I am, Man, it's a 911. If I get to a point where I'm being tempted or looking or starting to start wanting lust, I'm so far down the road that I missed it way back here when I need to really start going to God. So with that, I want to thank you. My name is Dennis. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic in Alaska. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.